You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praise to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. Father, we sing of you and your son and his finished work for us and his resurrection and his goodness. Uh, We come to the word that you have given us that we may know you, the one true God. And so I pray as we open the scripture, I pray as we study it together, a familiar passage, one that if we been in the church a while, we've honestly, we've heard it, but one that, Lord, brings great truth and I think great encouragement. So I just ask that your spirit would move now, that he would speak to us through the scripture which he inspired. I pray for our nation. Um, as last week, some of our brothers and sisters were worshiping just like this, and, um, and then they found themselves in, in, in heaven. Uh, and we know that there is evil in the world. We know that there is brokenness. Uh, we don't understand it sometimes that... Uh, why you don't just deal with it now? Why don't you just do different things? But we know you are good and we, you, you have promised good. Um, and so we sing and we want, just like we, we just sang, come thou found of every blessing. Um, and so we, we long as a church for you to return to end all this. But until then, Lord, let us find joy and peace and patience in you uh, and let us celebrate you. I just pray for help again uh, to preach this, this difficult passage, but one that's, I think, great encouragement to us. And I pray it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. All right. Just, it's an FYI. So last week, I tried to reach out to you. I tried to love on you. I wore a red shirt. I'm just saying, and then I get all this feedback. You know, that's not really red. That's uh, Alabama colors. That's Carolina. So I am wearing War Eagle colors today, just <laughs> to spite some of you. I ain't ashamed to say it. I got no dog in that fight. My boys got beat by Furman. No one cares. Okay. So just so you know, I have no, there's no emotional investment. But I know you're, some of you are weeping today, so I just wanted to rub it in. Um, just to identify your idols and crush them. All right. So here we go. A couple weeks ago, um, I was mowing, I, I was, we were working in the yards, me and some of the boys. I'm going to move this just so I don't kick myself. Um, a couple of boy, the boys were mowing the lawn and I do the edging and I got my 12 year old on the lawnmower now. It's kind of, he graduated this year. My 17 year old is like, yes, I'm done with that. So 12 year old's doing the lawn, but halfway through the lawn, uh, he comes to me and says, dad, it, it's broke. It won't start. So I'm like, no, it's not broke. It doesn't break. So I go over, I start it up. It'll start for about two seconds and then it goes out. All right. So I'm, I, I'm, I do what all men created in the image of God were created to do for his glory, I said, I'll fix this. I got this, right? Sure enough. So I, got, I know two things. Number one, check spark plug. Spark plug's good. Number two, is there gas? That is danger of small engine repair knowledge in my house. Okay. But see, I, there's this dangerous tool, y'all. Men, beware. It's this dangerous thing. It's called YouTube. Stay away. Because YouTube makes you think that you can do anything. And so I type in, you know, Craftsman, this kind of mower. Sure enough, six-minute video exactly dealing with my problem. 
I identify the problem, it is the carburetor, right? Because it says it's one of three things. It's, you got no gas? I'm like, I checked that. I'm not that dumb. Spark plug, got that. It's a carburetor. I'm like, got it. And then he's just in this video, he just goes through how to take it apart. And I'm like, I can do that. I can, honey, I can do that, which is like, no, you know, but so I do that. All right, so I'm in there. I got the tools out. I'm throwing pieces. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. It's working. I'm thinking, uh, I'm going to quit this pastor gig, build small engine repair. I mean, I'm, just, I'm in the zone. I got music. I'm excited. I feel like a man. All right. I get to go the next day. I get to the, get the carburetor cleaner. I spray that bad boy, almost blow up the garage in the meantime. But, you know, okay. And then, and then it's the time of truth. Okay, I got to put it back together. But I was so organized on my way out. I put these bolts over here. I, put, I start putting it back together. It went pretty well except for one spring, like this little spring went and shot off into the garage. And I was like, it's gone. I mean, it was, it, it was wet. I was like, there's no way. I, I looked for like 30 minutes. I mean, couldn't find it. I jerry-rigged it though. I found one of my daughter's little hair things and I said, oh, this will work. I put that thing in there. I only needed like a quarter of the yard. I didn't care about after that, right? And then, and then there was only like one or two bolts left over, so I figured they didn't matter. <laughs> like, I didn't, it's still, you know, so I, then I go, I, the moment of truth, I'm going to, it's going to start. I know it is. I pull that thing. It doesn't even start for two seconds anymore. It sounds like a train wreck happened. And so with my head in shame, I, it, off to the lawnmower shop, right? But I learned a valuable lesson. Okay, number one, YouTube is a hoax. We knew that already. Number two, I know nothing about small engine repair. Nothing, even if YouTube makes me think I do. And 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 what I really learned coming out of that is is in life we learn more from our failure than from our success. We learn when we wreck it more than when we kill it. And, and we've seen in this book, we've been studying it for 40 plus weeks now, we've seen the disciples on many occasions blow it. But today they are going to have an epic failure, a monster one, right? And you know who else has epic failures? Us. And so what we want to do is we want to learn from our failures. These guys are going to learn from their failures. They're going to go on and do great things for the kingdom, but they have, they had to wreck it first. And for us, what we want to be is a people who we learn from our failures. We're going to fall. We're going to fail, but we want to be able to, okay, I'm not getting on YouTube anymore, or I'm going to go to get this guy and help me do this because I don't know what I'm doing. We want to learn so that we can grow. And we don't want our failures at all. This is the big thing. We don't want them to wreck us. We don't want them to cripple us. We don't want the fact that, you know, we have, we're on our second marriage or we, uh, you know, lost a job or, you know, went bankrupt. We don't want that to destroy us like it could. And so I think there's some great hope in this passage as we look today in Luke chapter 22. We're going to cover 21 to 62. We're going to be moving a little bit. It's a fi- if it's a familiar passage. And I'm just going to kind of unpack, work through the passage for us real quick and come back and highlight a couple things for us on the backside that hopefully will encourage us, uh, remind us of some good things. Where we are, we kind of cut it off right in the middle last week. We were right, right following the Lord's Supper, the first Lord's Supper, where Jesus is in that upper room. He has taught them, uh, the disciples, how to now remember him by taking of the cup and taking of the bread. And right after that, 
All right, Judas is still there. He's washed their feet. It has been a heavy upper room, by the way. If you read the, the book of John's account, it's like four, four chapters. It's a, heavy, it's a heavy meeting. Jesus is preparing them for his departure. All right, and so we pick up. Let me turn this thing on if I can see. There we go. Uh, in verse 21. But behold, Jesus is talking. He says, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at the table. Judas is still there. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began questioning one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. And so Jesus makes a statement, one of you is going to betray me. And it throws the room into a tizzy. And we learn from John's gospel that Peter is like sitting down the table a little bit. And he kind of motions to John like, ask him. And he motions to John to ask Jesus who it is. And Jesus says, it's the one who I dipped the morsel in, into the into the little thing there. And so he does that. He gives it to Judas and says, what you're going to do, do quickly. And Judas runs out. But even then, they miss it. They think, well, Judas is just going to get more stuff for the supper because he's, he's the money guy. Or he's going to go give to the poor because that's what they did at Passover. So all the disciples are just asking each other, is it you? Is it you? Is it, it's Bartholomew. It's got to be Bartholomew. He's a knucklehead anyway. Look at his, listen to his name. Or oh, I bet it's Simon the Zealot. That zealot, zealots are crazy people. I bet it's him. He's asking and they're all talking and accusing and, and, and fighting. And the implication, though, is this. Nobody is asking this. Could it be me? Because they, they would ne- I would never do that. It's got to be Bartholomew. It's got to be Simon the Zealot. It's got to be Thaddeus. I mean, look at him. He looks crazy. Look at his hair. It, but it, it's not me. It would never be me. Right? That's the implication. And they go from there, verse 24, and then there's a fight. A dispute arose among them as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. So they go from saying it's not going to be me to starting to argue. It's not going to be me because you know why? Because I'm the best. Well, you're not the best. I'm the best. And they are fighting about who is the greatest. And think about the context. Jesus has just given them this table to remember him. And he's prayed for them. And he's talked about how he's going to suffer. And he even washed their feet and said at the end, I'm the Lord and teacher. And I did this. How should you respond? And now they are fighting over who is going to be the greatest. And for us, we're just like, oh, my goodness, these guys are crazy. It's like when I, when I said to my wife, I'm going to go fix some things. She's like, oh, yeah. It's the, that's the same idea. We look at these guys, we're like, yeah, here we go again. Right? And so Jesus is going to correct them again because we've seen this before. He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lords over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But it's not so with you. Y'all are supposed to be different. Let the greatest among you become as the youngest. The younger would always serve the older, right? The the firstborn was the one who had authority. But the greatest must be like the youngest. And the leader is the one who serves. And he gives an illustration just to remind them. Who is the one that's greater? One who reclines at the table or one who serves? It's clearly the one who reclines. It's the master. He says, is not the one who reclines at the table. Yes, but I am among you as the one who serves. Don't you just get what I just did? I washed your feet. So you guys are supposed to be different. Fighting over this. And he says, you do have a future. You have stayed with me in my trials. I assigned you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes. You do have a great future. And by the way, this argues, in my humble opinion, for a literal Israel in the the kingdom. If there's going to be 12 thrones with 12 tribes, these guys are sitting on them. He's promised them multiple times this. He says, you do have a great future. You will rule and reign in Israel one day. But now is time to serve. Like me. Right? Like me. And and then he 
in another, and the other gospels kind of give the kind of what happens in between. Luke kind of summarizes. At this point, he tells the disciples, y'all are going to all run. They're going to strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to run. And then he looks at Peter. He says, Simon. Notice he goes back to his old name. He renamed him Rocky, right? Peter, Rock. But he goes back to his birth name. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you. That you there is plural. It's y'all. But he looks at the kind of leader of the 12. He says, Simon, Satan is coming after y'all. He wants to tear y'all up. He wants to sift you like wheat. The attack is coming. Right? You're going to go back and you're going to act like before you knew me, Simon. Right? Verse 32. But I have prayed for you. And that you is singular. All right, so he says, y'all, Satan's coming after you. But Peter, Simon, I have prayed for you that after you fail and then you turn again, that's his repentance, that you will strengthen your brothers. Right? It's interesting that Jesus doesn't stop the attack. He just prays for him in the attack. We'll come back to that. But he says, after you repent, you're going to become rocky again. And I want you to strengthen your brothers. Right? And Peter, of course, as we know, says, Lord, I am ready to go to prison. I'm ready to die. Wherever, I don't care what all these other dudes are going to do. They are going to fall away. I will not fall away. I promise you, I'm here till the end. And what is he telling Jesus? He's telling him again, like he has before. You don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. You're lying. Right? You're not, you're not going to do this. He says, Peter, Peter will not crow this day until you deny me. Not one time. Not two times three times that you even know who I am. You even know me. Then we have this little paragraph. It's, it's kind of one of the harder paragraphs to understand in the text. But he says, he looks at all. He says, when I sent you out with the money bag and the knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? They say, no, nothing. We looked at that. And he said, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, likewise a knapsack. Let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. And, and so this, this is kind of a misunderstood uh, uh, paragraph because then he says the scripture must be fulfilled. He was numbered with his transgressors. He quotes Isaiah, for what is written about me has this fulfillment. And they say, look here, there's two swords, Lord, because he had mentioned swords. And so some people say, see, he wants them to grab swords and go out. The idea is not that. When he says it is enough, he's not saying two swords are enough. You guys will be fine with two swords. That's not the point. The point is before when you went out, it was going to be different than it's going to be out now. When you go out now, there's going to be hostility. So you need to be ready. And we're going to see that. You saw that in the book of Acts. Before, Jesus provided everything. They didn't need money. They didn't need you know, anything. They just went trusting. He says, now you got to be ready. And so when he says, here's two swords, it is enough. Most commentators are think, think he is saying, he's just done. He's like, you guys are missing it. It's enough. Done. Stop talking. Let's just go. So he's not saying, go carry a sword. He's, not that I'm against carrying a sword or packing or anything like that. We have a security team. We, you know, we want to keep everyone safe. But that's not the point of the text. The text is, you're going out into hostility now. Before it was not. Now it's hostility. You need to be ready. You need to be prepared for that. Because I am the one who came and, trans and they, they, they called me transgressor. I was numbered with them. That's the idea. But it, it's kind of a side point in the whole text. And then he came out and they went to the Mount of Olives. So they go where they always go. This is kind of the local place where, where Jesus would constantly pray. And the key is that Judas knows where it is. Right? And so he tells the disciples, pray that you will not enter temptation. Even in this moment, he's thinking about them. And so he goes off. 
He withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He, the other gospels are just very much more graphic that he is almost staggering. He is in so much agony and anxiety about what is going to happen. He almost just collapses on his knees. It says he is about to die. It's so great, the anxiety on him. It's about to crush his, his soul so that it physically kills him. And he kneels down and he prays just like he taught his disciples. Father, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. And, and that's kind of an Old Testament idea. The idea of cup is the cup of God's holy wrath. That Jesus will take the wrath of the Father on himself that we deserve because of our sin, because of our rebellion. He's going to take all that holy wrath onto himself. He is going to be literally forsaken by his Father. For the first time in all eternity, the Father and the Son will not be in perfect fellowship. He will actually become sin. He who knew no sin will become sin for us. And so he prays, Father, if you're willing. I know the plan, Father, from eternity past, before the foundation of the world, the plan was that I would take this cup, that I would drink the cup. But if there's any other way, remove it. Father says there's no other way. He says, not my will. And so the writer of Hebrews says he had to be made like us. In every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest to make propitiation. That word propitiation is the satisfying of God's wrath. God is holy and just. He had to have his wrath satisfied. So Jesus took that spot and he's about to experience it and it's breaking his heart. It's breaking his heart, but he says, not my will, but yours. And I love that the father doesn't just say, just toughen up, son. He sends an angel an angel who is a ministering spirit. And we don't know if he fed him. We don't know what happened. But he sends an angel to give him just enough strength. And so being in agony, he prays some more. His, his sweat becomes like blood or is blood. So you can imagine before he's even beaten, before he's even taken to the cross, he's, he's got a, a, a bloody brow and his, the blood stains on his, on his clothes. It's just he's in absolute agony from the, the idea of the holy God becoming sin for us. And then when he finally is done praying, he comes to the disciples, and what are they doing? They're racked out. And he says, pray. Why are you sleeping? Pray that you would not enter into temptation. And as he was speaking, in comes Judas. And you know what happens. Judas comes up. He kisses him to identify who Jesus is. And, and they're all going to attack. But he says, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And those who are around, they, they all of a sudden, they're, they're bold for a second. Lord, should we strike? We got two swords. Two Versus all this like SWAT team. And Peter takes one of the swords, of course. It doesn't say Peter here. We find out from one of the other gospels. And, and he's not very good with a sword. He's better with a fishing net. But he swings the sword aiming for his head and, and hits his ear. And he cuts off this man named Malchus's ear, the high priest's servant. And Jesus says, no more. Stop. Everything stops. He reaches down. He picks up this ear. He puts it back on the guy's head. Miracle, even in that moment. And Jesus said to the chief priests and officers in the temples who had come out against him, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? Cowards. He's calling them cowards. I was in the temple day after day. Why didn't you get me then? Why has it got to be now? And this is your hour and the power of darkness. And then... Again, probably the most famous part of the, of the narrative. They seize him, they take him away, bring him to the high priest's house, and Peter follows. We slam Peter a lot, right? But who, who's the only one that follows? 
Okay, you got John's there too, we find out. But Peter is the only one that has the guts to follow. The rest of them run off. In fact, one of them runs off naked. We don't know which one. You read Mark's gospel, one of them's like naked running through the woods. It's this random naked running guy verse in the Bible, right? Most people are like, it must be Mark because he knew about it. But whatever, they're all scattered. At least Peter has the guts to fall, follow. And so they, they go to this little courtyard, Peter following a distance, and they kindled a fire in the middle of the, of the courtyard. It's cold in the evening, and they sat down, and Peter sat among them, and a little servant girl. She's like, I've seen you. You were with him. He says, no, I, I, what are you talking about, little girl? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Woman, I don't know him. I'm just here to get warm. It's cold. A little later, someone says, you're one of them, aren't you? Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval, about an hour still, another insisted saying, certainly this man was with him. He's a Galilean. The accent of the Galilean was evident, plus his clothes. And they're like, he's definitely with him. He's a Galilean. Why else would he be here? He says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and other gospel says he starts invo- invoking curses down on himself. It's not some of you are like, yeah, see, Peter cursed. Peter wasn't cursing. It wasn't he's dropping F-bombs or something. He's, he's inviting, inviting a curse on himself if he is lying. I promise, I swear by God, I don't know who this guy is. And at that moment, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And notice, Jesus is there. And the Lord turned and looked at him. And it's that same word for looked. Remember a couple weeks ago, I told you when the Pharisees said, that's not, that's not true. And Jesus turns and looks at him with that intense glance and says, then what then is it that says this? The cornerstone will be rejected. It's that same Deep soul searching, and you can imagine it just broke the heart of Peter. And so he rem- he's remembered, and he goes out and he weeps. So what do we learn from this epic failures of these men and of Peter? There's a lot here, but I think there's four things I want to kind of identify for us. These, some of these were encouraging to me, so I hope they will be to you. And there's a lot, again, there's, you could take this direction in so many ways. But I, I want to encourage us in the, in the reality of our, our world that we live in. So here, here's four things. And here's the first one. Is that our failures begin with pride. I can do it. I can fix it. YouTube says so. But how does the whole passage start? Jesus tells them, one of you is going to betray me. What is their first response? It could never be me. Famous last words. I would never do that. Our family would never do that. We will never go there. I would never. To him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Right? Our church would never do that. My, it, it, it's, you're inviting challenging circumstances. Because when, once you're there, once you think, I would never do that. Why, did, why would I never do that? Because I'm so great. I'm so passionate. I'm such a good leader. It doesn't take much to get from there to talking about how much greater you are than someone else. Why would I never do that? Because I am better than you, which is why I should get the glory in the kingdom and I should be on the better throne. It's not a hard jump from there to there. Look how successful I've been. And then when you get to there, it's not a hard jump to, to self-dependence. I'm good. I've done this before. I got this. Pray. Be, be on my guard. No, I'm good. Right? Sleeping instead of praying. Since so, I'm so great and I've done this a thousand times, I don't need God, dear. I'm gold. See, what pride does, right, is it gets us talking when we should be listening. How many of, of us, me included, is that a problem? 
What pride does, it, it gets us looking to be served, serve me, meet my needs, tell me how great I am, rather than serving others. They are oblivious to the fact that Jesus is brokenhearted. I mean, they're over there sleeping. They're over there arguing about how great they are when Jesus is brokenhearted. Why? Because they're all about themselves. What pride does is it, it gets us boasting when we should be cautious. Jesus says, y'all are about to be tore up by Satan. And they're just like, well, we're great. I want to sit next to you. Who's sitting next to you? Or can I sit next to you? They're sleeping when they should be praying. Spiritually, that is. We got this. We've been with Jesus three years. They're fighting the exact wrong battle instead of surrendering. Right? They're trying to fight this, this army that Jesus tells them is coming. They're trying to resist the very thing that Jesus told them was going to happen. And you see, the, the exact opposite here is Jesus. He is praying. He is cautious. He is laying down his rights. He is humble. It's the exact opposite. Our, our, our problems begin with pride in almost every other thing. This is why pride is like the, the biggest on the list. It's not adultery. It's not cussing. It's not drugs. It's pride. It's the original sin of Satan. It's the one that takes us all down. And so we got to be wary of our pride. How, think about your last lawnmower incident. Whenever it was. Try to identify. Was someone telling you, don't do that? Was it, what, is it about you making yourself be, be, get this, be this, something else? I mean, look at the heart of what happened. And see if you can identify the pride. Right? Because we want to learn the lesson from that. But it's a biggie. That our failures begin with pride. Here's the second lesson. The best of us fail. Peter is the best of us. Right? He's the head of the disciples. Every time his name is listed in the, in the apostle, you know, amongst the apostles, Peter's first. He's the one that gets his name changed to the rock. He's the one that speaks. He is the man. Right? I mean, he is. And how did old Rocky do when he's faced with a little girl that says, do you know Jesus? Virgin says it. Right? Spurgeon says it best. The best of men is men at best. The best of men is men at best. I'm not the best. Not even close. I checked last night. We were, I don't even know why we were Googling it. What's the average height of American male? I'm four inches shorter than the average male. I'm not even close to the best. I'm four inches off. Right? Five foot ten. Apparently, I was hoping for 5'8 or something like that. I really was. I'm thinking, but it's 5'10, average American. Anyway, I don't know how it got there. I'm not the best. I have failed miserably in so many areas. As a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as, as, as a, in just a ton of areas. And so have you. Some of you failed this morning. Some of you failed last night. Some of you, some of you failed last week miserably. You said you were going to do something. You didn't do it. Right? You had an opportunity that God dropped. I mean, it was cherry-picked. God dropped it in your lap. I mean, it was like, this is an opportunity for you to be my servant, to be a, a, just a, a, a mode of grace to people, and you blew it. You completely walked right. You got scared. You got whatever. You, or you open your mouth, and as soon as you open your mouth, you wish you hadn't because you said something you can never take back. It's too late. It's out there. We've said it. We've all, we all blow it. 
right? That's, that's it. All of us, even Peter. And even, by the way, after this, you think, oh, after this, Peter's going to do great for the rest of his life. Actually, Peter does it. This is even better. I love this. You read the book of Galatians. Peter, who becomes this great leader in the early church, he becomes a racist in the book of Galatians, where he was no longer associating with Gentiles. He would only associate with Jews because he was scared what these, what these circumcised Jews would think of him if he was hanging out with them. And Paul has to get in his grill and say, you are a hypocrite, Mr. Peter Rocky. Right? And he repents. So, so, but see, I find that, I don't know about you, y'all, the Bible is honest. I find that greatly encouraging. If the best guy on our team is a moron sometimes, man, then when I blow up the engine, I'm, it doesn't crush me because I'm not the first guy to be a moron, right? I mean, if you're here and you're like, I, I, I've wasted this or I've done this or you're, you're looking back at this thing that you did in college that you can't shake it and you're like, oh, I wish I never did. It's 25 years ago. I still think about it every day. You need to understand that the best of the best of the best fail. That's why we needed someone who wouldn't, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And, and just a couple, just quick applications just about that. Number one, don't put your hope in men. It's, it's the same reason, I mean, I tease y'all because I love you. It's the same reason I tell you, you cannot invite Georgia football into your heart <laughs> because they will let you down. 19-year-old boys let you down. They do that. And we joke about it, but it's, it's the truth. It doesn't matter who it is. The best person, if you, if you put all your eggs in his basket, he, he will let you down. This is why it's so difficult to have true community in a church. Because the closer you get to the deal, the more you see how flawed the deal is. I'm telling you. It's easy to be surfacy and make everything all happy, happy, happy. But when you get under it and you, and you see, oh, they're just like us. They just smile better. They fight too. They have money issues too. They got kids that don't like them all the time too. Their kids aren't like, if you think the Fowler children, I love my kids, but if you think like, it's Sunday, we can't wait to go to church here and not preach. Yes, it's the best thing ever. I promise you that's not. Sometimes they're, I think I'm sick. <sighs> <laughs> okay, what's your hope in men? Spiritual, just normal, just like you. And if you put your hope in men, the best of men is men at best. You will be crushed, just like some of you are this morning, because you put your hope in 19-year-old boys who play football. Right? Love you anyway. Second application. If we know that people will fail, even the best of us, then it teaches us something about how we respond when they fail, doesn't it? If Jesus tells these guys ahead of time, you're going to fail, but when you come back, do this. He's already restored them. I mean, he really, he's already there. He's like, Peter, after you're, when you come back, and I know you will, strengthen your brothers. If, if we know that the best of men is men at best, then how, does that, how do we respond to them when we fail? You know what we do? We do exactly what Jesus did. We restore them. Even if someone goes off the deep end, I mean, you read Corinthians when you got a guy who's in such blatant sin, he's having an affair with his stepmom and all these weird things. But he says, if he repents, you bring him back like a brother. If someone hurts you, I, no, not if, when, 
When someone hurts you, when they crush you, when they disappoint you, if you are Christian, the only response we have is to be like Jesus and say, Peter, even after you deny that you've been know me three times, even though I'm sitting 15 feet away from you, but after you do that, do this. So we restore, we forgive, because that is distinctly Christian, isn't it? Isn't that, what, if a Christian can't forgive, I mean, that's like right next to love, and it's related, then, then, it's, then are we Christian? It's the question. Because if we've experienced such great grace and forgiveness, how can we not show it to others? It's a huge, it's a huge lesson for us as we get closer together in relationships. This is why at a marriage ceremony, you say what? In sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer. If you're really honest, when you're a knucklehead, when I'm a knucklehead. Right? Because... That's, that's covenant So God has with us, right? The best of us will fail. And, and this is related to what I just said, is that God knows you will fail. Just, just a heads up. I mean, what does he tell the guys? You will, when you strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. Peter, you will deny me three times, and then it will be a rooster. Y'all, I know we know God is omniscient, but you need to know and be comforted by the fact that God knows when, how, how big, how often you will fail. He knew before, a a billion years before he created the universe, when it was just God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, it was already determined that God the Son would drink of the cup of his Father's wrath for a creation that has not yet been created. I mean, it was predetermined already that he would do that before he spoke Genesis 1 into existence. So if God knows that, he knows when you're going to fall, how you're going to fall. He knows when the attack's going to be. He knows the ones you're going to win. He knows the ones you're going to lose. And here's the beauty of it. He doesn't change his mind about you. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Key is for those in Christ Jesus. So he says, so he doesn't say to Peter, Peter, after you repent, we're, we're going to have to turn, change that name thing again. We're going to go back to Simon and we're going to drop the apostle. So you're just Simon, Simon the fisherman, Simon, son of John. No, he is still Peter. He is still an apostle. Right? The beauty of this passage, which struck me as I was reading it over and over and over again, is that Jesus, knowing what's going to happen, he doesn't condemn them. He prays for them. Simon, y'all, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for y'all, you, Peter, that you would strengthen. Right? He's praying for them. You know what he's doing right now, church? What Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father, is doing, who is at the right Romans says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is, this is present tense in the Greek, which means it's continuous, who is continually interceding for his church. Jesus is not just sitting there drinking like heavenly, you know, cafe, waiting for the church to come. He is actively interceding on our behalf. The Spirit in the same chapter, just a few verses earlier, is actively changing our prayers when we fail to know how to pray to to, to present them to the Father. This is constantly going on, that Jesus is actively engaged in what's going on in your life. He is praying for you. He is interceding for you. You need to know that. 
How good is Jesus knowing that you're going to fail or knowing that you're going to deceive? He's still praying and he hasn't changed his love. And this is why it's huge because after we fail, who is always there to remind us of it? The deceiver, the accuser of the brethren. He's sitting there on your shoulder. See, you are a worthless, you ain't Christian. If you were a Christian, you never would have done that. He's the one who tempts you to do it and then he's the one who starts all of a sudden accusing you of doing it and he tries to make you feel like you're a dirt ball. God doesn't love you. God could never use you again. That's what he does. That's, 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 he constantly does it. And what Jesus is saying is, don't listen to this. Listen to me. I am praying for you. There is no condemnation. There is no temptation that is, that is able and that such is common. And I am faithful and I will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Well, with each temptation, we'll provide a way of escape. You need to believe the truth. The truth will set you free. God knows before you fail that you're going to fail, and it doesn't change his opinion. Does it mean we don't need to repent? No. Peter, after you've turned, then, then, we'll, then you're, you're gold. We'll, we'll, we'll restore this thing. And this is the last point, is that we need our failures. I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive, but we need our failures. Because it's only in our failures, y'all, that we can experience grace. And it's only grace that can empower us to lead and to move forward. You know the story of Peter, many of you. So afterwards, a couple weeks later, Jesus, after the resurrection, finds Peter and his boys fishing. Right? They don't have any, anything to do right now because they're kind of waiting around. And so they're fishing, and Jesus is on the, on the beach, and they're out in the water, and they see him, and Peter doesn't even want to wait. So he just jumps in the water, clothes and all, and swims, doggy paddles, up to the beach. And there's Jesus, and he's got a little fire there, and he cooks some breakfast. He says, come, children, have breakfast. This is a great image of, of Jesus, the raised Savior in his glorified body. But he's just like, come have breakfast with me. Come hang out with me. I want to I fellowship with you guys, even though you all ran away. And he goes to Peter after breakfast. Remember, he asked him three questions. Simon? You love me. Right. And, and, and Peter, you, you know I love you. Simon, do you love me? Yes, yes, Lord, I love you. Simon, you love me. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Three times. Why do you think three times? Because he denied him three times. But it, it, isn't it great that Jesus doesn't say, Simon, you got a, uh, you got a, a mouth problem. And you have a, a fear of man issue and you're a liar. So let's talk about that. What does he say? Simon, do you love me? Why? Because if you love me, you will, you will build with your words. You won't tear down anymore. And if you love me, you won't, you won't lie anymore. And if you love me, you'll fear no one. You'll have courage. It's an issue of love for him. But he restores him. And, and he shows him grace. He shows him undeserved favor. And it's only after Peter has experienced that huge failure and that huge grace that he is ready to feed. What does Jesus say? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Tend my little sheep. It's only after he's experienced grace can he be a minister of grace. It's only after you fail and, and have received God's, God's mercy and his grace that you're ready to be out there giving it. Because if you think you're all that, I don't need this, but you do. Let me tell you all about God's grace, which I don't really need. 
No, it's his failure. I think it's Jesus. Jesus it's not it, Jesus is using these guys despite themselves. They are now usable because they've been at, at the brink of brokenness and he has restored them and now they are ready to lead. Now they are ready to serve. It's his failures were the gateway to grace that brings us this great intimacy. And that's the way it is with us. Your failures prepare you for what's next for victory. And so after, if you read the book of Acts, where, G, where, where Peter before, it, when Jesus says, I'm going to die, I'm going to a cross, and Peter says, no way. Read Acts 1. He, he says, wait a minute, Jesus had to do this. This is how the scriptures had to be fulfilled. How do we miss this? It's completely opposite. This is had, had to be. It's completely changed. Before he's fighting to be on Jesus' right and left. I want to be the closest. I want to be the most important. When you read the early church, Peter kind of like gives the leadership of the whole deal over to Jesus' half-brother, James. Peter was not the first pope. He kind of steps out and Jesus' half-brother, who wasn't even one of the 12 disciples, he becomes the leader of Jerusalem. He kind of defers. He's not trying to be the most the man anymore. He's just trying to serve. Complete change. He's confronted multiple times when his life is in danger. And instead of, you know, being a little chicken of a little girl now, he's saying, I don't care what y'all say. We must, we must continue to do what we have seen and heard. We got to. This is, this is what Jesus has commanded. Instead of sleeping, being spiritually asleep at the wheel, and Peter, his first letter, first Peter, he writes, be sober, be alert, be awake for the purpose of prayer. Everything is changed by grace in his life, the power of the Spirit in his life. And then at the end, 30 years later, Peter in Rome is asked, deny this Jesus or we will crucify you just like he was crucified. And he says, please don't. Please don't what? Please don't crucify me like Jesus. I'm not worthy. Turn me upside down. And so they did. They nailed him to a cross upside down, and he was crucified for the one he loved. And the moment he took his last breath, he was in the presence of the one whom he said, you know all things, you know I love you. Right? That's how he ended. But it's because he, he experienced grace. And, and failure is the channel of grace in our life. I need my failures. I need a lawnmower failure so that next time I call somebody. And don't go to YouTube. You need it. We all need it. And again, I, I don't know where you are and what the, what the failure is. Maybe it's a failure at work. Maybe it's a failure in your home. Maybe you're like, oh, I, I didn't do this with my kids and now they're all grown. And, and, and you just, you're covered over in guilt. I don't know what it is. But your past is your past. What, what you did yesterday does not matter. What you do today, that's what matters, y'all. Can't do anything about the past. But we can do about today. And we can learn and we can move forward and we can experience grace. And, it, and, and I can call the lawnmower guy earlier. I'm hoping I will. Maybe not. Home Depot, I can do it. They can help. Just good reminders from failure. Starts with pride. Starts with pride. And, and instead of looking inward, we look upward, right? And not fighting God's will, surrendering to God's will. Because all of us fail in this room. All of us fail. And God knows it. So let's, let's humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. 
because God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. That we are in a church on a Sunday morning or in a building, we are the church because we need a savior, not because we got it all together. The idea of coming to church says, I need something outside of myself. It's a great place to remember. And so we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate a God who knew that we would fail and that he came anyway, as was determined. And look, if you need encouragement, if you need help, if you have train wrecked something, don't be so proud that you want to go fix it on YouTube yourself. We, we have pastors, we have counselors, we have community group leaders, we have folks that would love to sit down with you, pray for you, encourage you. Don't sit there YouTubing how to fix my deal because you're going to end up at the lawnmower shop anyway. I'm just telling you. It's my metaphor for, the, for my life, the lawnmower. Right? But you get my point. That's what the body does. And so let the body function like the body. We have people that can encourage you, love you, help you wherever you're at. And so if you need that, Drop a card in the box, come talk to one of the pastors, grab someone with a lanyard, and they'll point you in the right direction, because we want to be here to help and encourage you as a church. That's what we do. So let me pray. You guys stand, and we'll sing. Father, I pray uh, that as our as we just go through life, that, that decisions that we make that may be great or bad, that they wouldn't train wreck us, that mistakes we've made wouldn't cripple us for life. We have a God who has forgiven us, and, and we have a God who moves and, and takes mistakes and turns it into so many good things. Uh, and so I just pray that we would see that in our lives, in our, in our churches, in our marriages, in our families, in our work, um, whatever it is, Lord. But we trust you. We know you're good. We, we want to worship you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for Peter and his life, which is so honest and transparent in front of us. So we can be encouraged by someone who often got off the tracks, but we can see how you used them despite that. And so uh, just do that for us in Christ's name. Amen.